Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another episode of Simply Bitcoin IRL. Once again, I am streaming live from the Bitcoin Magazine headquarters in Nashville, Tennessee. And I have a very special guest today, Lawrence Lippard. And he, coincidentally, I was talking about this about with him um, off air. Coincidentally, we had this plan for a couple weeks now, and this just happened to be the day that the Bank of England pivoted, and from my perspective, they turned on the money printer once again. Now, I know that on Twitter, we see a lot of the heavyweights, um, James Labish, Greg Foss, yourself, Lawrence, and so many people talking about what exactly is going on, and they'll put you know, these uh, Bloomberg terminal pictures and all that stuff. And I think that, you know, I, I've had to learn a lot about this stuff, making Bitcoin content, but I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that don't quite understand the significance of what happened today. So from your perspective, Lawrence, what happened today? Was it a big deal? Was it, was it the inevitable that they were always going to turn on the money printer once again? Yeah, absolutely. So and for those who haven't Followed the news. Uh, obviously, the biggest thing that happened today is the uh, the Bank of England pivoted. Um, you know, they had been doing QT and, and pushing rates up, and they're pretending like everything was fine. And in fact, they um, the, the, and the headlines were rather 2008ish. You know, they they said that they had to reverse their policies, not necessarily on the interest rates, but on the QT side, and they were going to increase QE, and they had to intervene in the markets to prevent the collapse of the gilt market and the British pound. And uh, they were going to do so by direct intervention into the marketplace, um, which is um, which is really um, historic and, and important and kind of reminds me of 2008. You know, things were breaking or are breaking. They're breaking so fast that they had to do it without delay. And, and I don't have these to pull up in front of me. Maybe you can access charts and pull them up. but. You know, if you go look at a chart of the the British gilt, the the 30-year bond, I mean, it was almost in a free fall, and the um, you know, the interest rate was in turn, uh, or the pound, I'm sorry, was also uh, in a free fall, and this is because of the policies that they've had to put in to protect their citizens from the outrageous increase in um, electrical costs. I mean, we've all seen the tweets of you know guys who are running pubs and and bakeries and so forth, and even in their homes, people seeing. Um, you know, two, three, four X increases in their underlying electricity rates. And then the new British prime minister, uh, Truss, came in and said, well, OK, what we're going to do is we're going to cap um, we're going to cap your costs and we're going to cover the difference over twenty five hundred. I believe it was for households and some similar number for businesses. I don't know the specifics, but of course, that's fine. And one could argue that's that is the right policy to protect their citizens. The question is, of course, where are they going to find the money to do it? And they don't, it's not like they're running a big surplus, right? <laughs> they don't really have the money. Oh, thank you. That's very helpful. They don't really have the money to do it. And as a result, um, they're going to have to print the money to do it. And so, um, you know, this, this printing um, was started, uh, you know, I, I think they announced the coverage or the protection of the electrical costs a couple, you know, 10 days ago or so. And, uh, um, you know, obviously the bond market and the, uh, the gilt market, you know, the bond market in gilts and the, the pound uh, reacted quite negatively and, and it was becoming kind of a rout. And so they got in there and they reversed their policies. It was a huge pivot, incredibly important. And I think what it says 
what it shows is the, this problem is coming to all central banks. And, uh, you know, it, it, um, the, the Japanese have been doing this for a while, but everyone kind of looks at the Japanese and says, well, yeah, that's old, that's old news over there. But in Britain, they had not been pursuing these policies and, and they suddenly changed, um, you know, and, and the headlines were, were scary, right, to, to everybody. And what it said to me is, you know, the system is breaking. Uh, it reminds me very much. I mean, I feel like we're in July or August of 2008. Uh, it hasn't totally broken. The Fed hasn't pivoted, but it shows that, you know, what the Fed is doing in terms of tightening monetary policy and withdrawing accommodation, quantitative tightening, it's just not going to work. I mean, they, they can't do, they can't effectively do it. They are going to be forced into pivoting or else they're going to have a big hole in the ground that used to be the economy. I mean, it's going to look like 1929. So uh, to me, it was enormously significant. And, um, you know, the Bitcoin price firmed up a tad, I believe. But more importantly, the gold market smelled it, you know, in size. And the gold market was up $30 on the day. It's 1.9%. Silver was up 53 cents on the day, which is 2.86%. And so... Um, you know, the markets took note. And of course, the U.S. markets caught a bid. Everything, everything changed. S&P was up. I mean, pretty much everything was up. And gold stocks, which is what my fund focuses on mostly, although I have a lot of Bitcoin as well. Um, you know, the GDXJ was up 7.76% in one day. Um, that's a pretty large move. And so, uh, you know, what I, what I see and what I've seen for some time, I mean, all these governments are bankrupt, right? We know that. And all these fiat currencies are worthless. We know that. Uh, but they've been trying to pretend like those two things aren't true. And, uh, you know, the, the result was a run on their currency and a run on their bonds. And so in order to hold things together, they had to step into these markets and change their policies. And I think that it's only a matter of time until the, the Fed is forced to, to do the exact same thing. So and I, I think the market realized that, um, you know, worldwide. And, um, you know, in my opinion, you know, the bottom is in now for, you know, gold and Bitcoin uh, very clearly. And it's only a matter of time until, you know, the problem accelerates in other areas. I mean, you know, look, there, there are, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars of derivatives. And most of those derivatives um, are bets on interest rates and bonds. And, um, you know, when you get the moves of the, of the size that we've had in the last few weeks, you know, you know, the U.S. 10 year you know, going straight up um, and other bond market, you know, yield on the U.S. 10 year going straight up, the bonds going straight down and all these other things. What you see is um, a system breaking apart and, uh, um, you know, the, which is fine. I mean, it, it is what it is. Um, but, uh, you know, the policymakers, you know, are going to be forced to respond because uh, they can't have their bonds falling apart. I mean, the, the U.S. Treasury bond is the the tenure is the measure of interest rates for the entire world and the government is unable to fund itself you know at, at t-bond rates yeah look at the i don't know what you're looking at but we should look at that's is that the shorter that's a shorter term right opti pull it pull it to a five-year scale please yeah Thanks, do a brother. five year you know uh well that's gold yeah go go to um if, if you're able to put in us two-year or us tenure on the bond I, which what are you on for charting so software there um, uh, put up, pull up the two-year and ten-year Treasury bond, Opti. That's yeah, that'd be helpful. Um, you can see what see what was going on. I mean, so, the Treasury bond and the two-year bond. Well, the Treasury bond's gone up substantially, and uh, um, you know, the two-year has gone up even faster. And so, you know, when the U.S. has got thirty-plus trillion dollars of debt, 
you know, at an average interest cost of, you know, kind of two trending towards three, but as all that rolls, you know, it's going to go to the three, four, five, six, um, you know, basically you cannot, you know, you can't fund yourself. And so you get into what, you know, Lavish, myself, Foss and others have said is a debt death spiral, uh, which is to say higher interest rates are going to cause, cause, um, you know, the, the, the fund, the government to be, un, be unable to fund itself. And Boy. so, um, okay, fine. So how does the government react to that? They, they react the way the BOE just did. And they, um, you know, they, they buy a treasury bond. How do they buy it? They buy it with money they don't have, money they printed. And um, that is really kind of the, that's the crux of the matter that, that they are going to be forced into printing because as Max uh, has said so many times, you can't taper a Ponzi. You know, we're kind of in a print or die environment. And so, um, you know, that's that couldn't be better for sound money alternatives, gold and Bitcoin. So and another aspect, right, it's with the with the rates being raised at this level. And, and when you were talking, Lawrence, I was I was getting boost goosebumps. And <laughs> the reason is because I, I don't think in 2008, they're turning on the money printer when the UK has a 10% inflation rate, not to mention the energy crisis where people can't, you know, people can't afford power, right? And then the response by Ursula, the, the, the president of the European Union was price controls. We're going to nationalize this stuff. We're going to tax right. the, the energy companies. Yeah. In, again, from my perspective, and, I, and like I always say, guys, I, I went straight into the Bitcoin world. I, I, I miss the, the traditional <laughs> world, but just basic common sense here. Um, if you're going to print money to try to rescue yourself from this situation and you're already dealing with 10% inflation, I'm you're looking, gonna, you're going to make I'm, it worse. I mean, I'm looking is... at it, but, but not, not, not just worse. This is a catastrophe that I'm seeing unfolding before my eyes in the next six or 10 years, if you're under the age of 35, you're not going to be able to own anything because it's becoming so expensive to borrow. This is a, this is worse than 2008. And that's oh, yeah. just from my perspective. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. This is much worse than 2008. I mean, 2008 was focused on, you know, the banks in the United States and the housing market in the United States. And obviously 2008 was quite bad, but this is at a level above that, which is the sovereign debt level. And, you know, what we're seeing here is, is pension funds and governments, you know, that, that created this everything bubble by mispricing fiat currency for so long. I mean, you know, ZERP interest rates from, you know, 2009 to 2015 just created enormous distortions. And this is why we call it the everything bubble. There's just so much money out there flying around that nobody really knows what the price of anything should be or is. And nobody really knows what fiat currency is uh, is worth. In fact, you know, you and I, I think, believe that's worth nothing. Um, but the, the world certainly, the normies certainly haven't believed that for some long time. And they, um, um, you know, are, are coming to see the fundamental mathematical problem that Greg has so accurately and consistently pointed out, Greg Foss I'm referring to. Um, you know, the bond market is schooling the central banks. And they've got a real problem. I mean, there's, you can bet that there are people in, you know, all the central banks all over the world right now who are looking at this and going, oh, shit, you know, what, what do we do now? 
Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be zigzaggy. It's, you know, I don't want to get carried away and say it's definitely all over right here, right now, but, but it kind of feels that way to me. It's, uh, it's very, very serious and they're unlikely to, you know, be able to unspill this milk. So, um, you know, I, I think it's only a matter of time. I mean, I think it's interesting that that gold gold smelt at first usually does gets bigger, more widely distributed, and more traditional. It's a more traditional sound money asset, but Bitcoin will smell it too, and, and Bitcoin will follow gold. It, it you know, I, I think it's very interesting that when they did it in 2020, which was kind of a miniature of this, you know, the the COVID driven um, money printing episode, um, you know, gold took off immediately. I mean, it just out of the hole in March of 2020, gold shot up like a rocket, and Bitcoin went up, but not as much. But then if you notice. Uh, a few months later, you know, Bitcoin came on and, and passed gold in spades. I mean, it's it's a better alternative, um, but it took a while uh, for that to occur. And so I've I've long contended that Bitcoin leads gold. Um, you know, or I'm, I'm sorry, that gold leads Bitcoin uh, in terms of these price moves. But Bitcoin outperforms gold once it gets going. So and, and I hold both, but uh, the fund I manage is more focused. It's about 80% gold, gold stocks, and 20 20% Bitcoin related. So. Yeah, look at look at that move, um, you know, off the bottom, you can see the, you know, that's the leave it there for a moment. That's the US 10 year. Notice how on a spike low, it was as low as, you know, 30 or 40 bips, you know, and now it today, actually, before all this happened, it had just crossed 4%. I was making a bet on Twitter about when that would happen. I guessed it would happen today. It was a lucky guess. But, um, you know, it, it crossed 4% this morning. And then um, you know, I went and did my workout. I came back and somebody said the BOE pivoted and I said, oh, yeah, big deal. But then I looked at it and, um, you know, um, hey, Jose, gold is not shit. OK, gold's been around for 5000 years. All right. Get a grip. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's uh, it's a mess. It's a real mess. Oh, man. So. Where, 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 where does this go from now? Um, I, so it, look, the reaction that I saw in, and I'm going to change the topic a little bit. It's all connected, right? Yep. The recent, um, digital assets framework by the white house. Um, and there was actually a report by the U S treasury called the future of money in this report. We covered it on the show. <laughs> there was no mention of Bitcoin. There was the, 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 the only innovations that they, they spoke of was uh, payment systems like Venmo and PayPal and Cash App and all that stuff. And um, of course, central bank digital currencies and stable coins. There was no mention of Bitcoin. So the reason I'm bringing this up, Lawrence, is because clearly they're positioning themselves in a way and it was actually Druckenmiller that tweeted this out. It was Zero Hedge that actually tweeted out. It was quoting had said, if this situation gets worse for central banks, people are going to start seeking alternatives in cryptocurrencies. But from my perspective, maybe it's selfish. I don't know. I think that's a good thing. I, and not cryptocurrencies, but specifically Bitcoin. I was just quoting the Zero Hedge uh, tweet. From your perspective, how will this giant 
bureaucratic state, this administrative state that will do anything to ensure its survival, right? I know that you're a believer yeah. in the CIA assassinating JFK. Yeah. How will they react to this? At the end of the day, the, the United States government is the most powerful government in the world. Right. It is the largest employer in the world. It employs 9 million people, federal full-time workers. On, on right. top of that, it's 16 million federal contractors if you add the full-time workers. That right. is a machine. That is a monster. That is a well, creature in itself. Absolutely. I mean, look, what we know is that they'll do anything they can to protect their privilege. They've done it in the past. They've changed the rules. You know, um, uh, we don't know. I mean, that's, you know, that's that's the unfortunate thing. We can make guesses as to what they'll do, um, you know, in, in a similar similar sovereign debt crisis. I mean, you know, Roosevelt confiscated the gold at 6102. He stole it from the people and devalued it by 70 percent, uh, which is one of the flaws with gold. But um, it, it, it's very hard to say. I mean, they could, uh, you know, they could theoretically they could shut the markets. Uh, they could pivot. Jay Powell could get fired, which I, I'm actually beginning to think is a real possibility. Um, you know, the the you know, they, they need they need to change this policy. It's it's going to be it's mathematically obvious that they need to change this policy and they will. Because as, as bad as, um, you know, the inflation we have is, you know, driving the economy into a complete depression where nothing functions because you know, money is too expensive and the government can't pay its bills and, and you know, the markets all go to zero. Uh, that's a that's a worse alternative than high inflation. I mean, high inflation is bad. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the, the sad thing is that what they've done is is painted themselves and us into a corner. and We're all going to suffer greatly as a result of this. Um, and but, you know, we're not the ones who are pulling the levers at the top and we didn't design this broken system. Um, and the, you know, the bright news is Nico that, um, you know, the system is going to fail and a better system is going to emerge. It's based on a sound money alternative, which, which will be Bitcoin ultimately, but in the interim, I think gold will play a role as well. Oh man. Um, so Lawrence, what could the individual, what could the average person do to protect themselves from what is coming because it, it, you're not the only person that you know has been saying this but i think that you know the the old first of all this has never happened in my lifetime okay so no, it hadn't I, happened I, to mine either i mean upsets <laughs> like this have happened i mean i've seen big financial disruptions but this is bigger and at a higher level than anything i've seen to date this is bigger than 2008 or it will be when it's all said and done how long so, will this last? People are saying that this is not a recession that's incoming. People are saying that this is this is a depression. This will be multiple years. Um, there is no easy fix out of that. There is no easy out. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Although you know the, um, the there you know people often say, well, you're critical of the system. You know what would you do to fix it? I mean, there actually is a solution. You know they they need to they need to confess and do a monetary reset to a sound money standard. Uh, the odds of them doing that, you know, are in my opinion quite low. You know they won't do that until they're forced to do it. But um, you know the problem is too much debt, and they should, you know, they should devalue the currency, you know, in Bitcoin and gold terms. Um, but as I say, I, they're not going to do it because they're trying to protect their privilege. So what they will do. Is they'll do everything they can to not, you know, to try and prevent us from succeeding, 
but you know there are there are millions of us or billions of us and there are only a small number of them and we're just going to run them over you know they're, they're they're screwed i mean i mean they're completely screwed now you know the the sad thing is that you know at least people watching this are probably very much aware of the problem and have taken the moves to protect themselves i mean i get a lot of emails that hey i'm just a regular guy out here working in the middle of america you know what do i do to protect myself like you know i'm not supposed to give financial advice so this is just my own personal opinion anyone this is not financial advice right however um the, the worst thing anyone could ever own right now is bonds bonds are absolutely worthless they're they're reward you know they're reward free risk so you got to be totally out of bonds I happen to think that stocks will ultimately suffer as well. Uh, they haven't yet. It's kind of been a surprise to me how well the stock market has held together. It's teetering right on making new lows, but it hasn't done it yet. Um, you know, the um, I, I advocate and I believe that everybody needs to have a portion of their wealth in tangible things. I mean, when the money is failing, things have value. I mean, what what's happened here is, you know, the, the moves by Russia have basically made commodities, you know, the new form of money, um, you know, oil, gas, uh, et cetera. And, uh, and, and Bitcoin and gold are both tied to commodities because you can't produce either one without commodity inputs. And so they're a proxy for the underlying commodities. And, you know, therefore, I, I think, you know, the worst thing you could do would be to have your money in bonds. Probably the second worst thing you could do would be to have your money in cash. And then maybe the third worst thing to do would be to be in stocks you know, particularly, you know, meme stocks or technology stocks or, um, you know, growth stocks, because I don't think, I think going through this, the, the world isn't going to grow very much. The world's going to be in a, it's going to be a very messy and chaotic transition period. It's going to look a lot like the 70s. In the 70s, you know, the two great investments in the 70s, well, three great investments, really. One was housing. Um, if, you know, if you owned a house and you didn't lose it, i.e. you weren't too levered, your house went up enormously in value. I mean, my parents bought a house in Ann Arbor, Michigan in the 60s for 40 or 50,000. The end of the 70s was probably worth three or 400, which in investment terms is a pretty good deal. Um, you know, and then the other two areas that performed extraordinarily well were gold and, um, and oil, um, you know, both commodity based in an inflation and in a heavily inflationary environment. But Powell has made a colossal error here. He thinks he's Paul Volcker and he's not. He can't be because of the debt levels that we've accumulated. It's not the same set of circumstances. And so, you know, to the degree he tries to solve this by raising interest rates, it's just plain stupid. It's not going to solve the problem. I mean, part of the reason why these commodity prices are going up so much is because, you know, we've had supply destruction and, you know, we, we need more supply. I mean, what Biden should be doing, you know, is, is he, sh he should have, I mean, the way to create more supplies to let the prices go up, he actually should have let the price of oil go up, not released the, uh, the, the oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Um, he should have, you know, keeping interest rates low would have allowed people to invest in and build more capacity to produce more oil and gas, which is what we badly need. So, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're doing it all wrong. I mean, these guys are idiots. They're absolute idiots. And they're evil, in my opinion, because they, you know, they change the rules to suit their own needs i mean i noticed you know i love the way the fed guys all got you know they were insider trading you know they they resigned at the top and sold all their stocks i mean they're not stupid um, they're evil but not stupid so um you know it's the average person in my opinion should batten down the hatches uh hold sound money live within your means don't be overly levered it's going to be extremely volatile i mean this stuff has gone up and down quite a bit um you know, and, and I mean, it's been hard. You know, my fund is down substantially this year. 
Um, but you know, I'm not, I'm not long-term, I'm not concerned about it. You know, I do find it annoying, um, because I, I just feel like we've got these idiots driving the clown car. So, so you, you mentioned something interesting and, and I, and I want to explore that topic, right. From your perspective, of course. And you said that they're going to try to do anything and everything to try to protect that privilege. Yep. What, what is that privilege, Lawrence? What are you talking about? Well, the privilege is the privilege to print money, to control and print money. Um, you know, they, um, you know, that it, it, the fiat game has enabled them to become enormously rich and the people closest to the source of the money, it's the contillion effect, right? I mean, Ken Griffith should be bankrupt and in jail, you know, um, uh, I'm trying to call the name of the fellow who ran, who used to ran, run Goldman Sachs. He used to tweet, Somebody help me out here. He used to tweet all the time, you know, about various things. And I just thought, you know, that's that's really rich. Here's a guy who in 2008 would have been bankrupt if the government hadn't bailed him out. And, and now he's offering, you know, advice on military matters and so on and so forth. Um, you know, it's it's ridiculous. It's, it's just ridiculous. And, you know, they 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 protect themselves. Um, and uh, at the expense of the rest of us, we all pay for it. That's why millennials can't buy houses because they're competing with BlackRock, who's buying up houses. You know, I mean, it's just it's it's incredibly incredibly broken. And um, you know, we haven't seen. I mean, the problem most investors face is that you know they're depending on when you enter the market and how old you are. You know, if if you enter the market anytime after two thousand eight, you haven't seen a bear market. All you've seen is a buy the dip environment. And, you know, I'm here to say that there's no doubt in my mind that we are going to have a bear stock market before this is over. So um, I think you got to be out of stocks and I think you have to hold sound money or, or things that are tied to sound money. And in that case, it would be, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin miners, gold miners, silver miners. So what, the, what you're describing, right, and, you know, the, 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 <laughs> the infamous example of 2008, right, um, where the federal government picked and choose which ones of these investment banks survived in the case of, you know, the, the, the recent what just happened with the Bank of England. Lawrence, correct me if I'm wrong, but that doesn't sound like capitalism to me. It's, <laughs> not, even, it's not even close to capitalism. I mean, this is this is crony capitalism. This is state capitalism. Yeah. Thanks for uh, thinking of Lloyd Blankfein. I, sadly, at my age, sometimes you forget obvious shit. <laughs> But uh, yeah, he, he's the guy who, who uh, ran Goldman Sachs. Um, yeah, no, it's not it's not anything close to capitalism. It's completely unfair. And, um, you know, it, it what it speaks to is why we in the sound money movement all need to educate as many people as we possibly can that the only solution to this problem is to end the Fed. I mean, we should not have a Federal Reserve. The notion of having a group of people sitting in Washington I think they've got 40,000 employees and hundreds of PhDs on their staff telling us what the price of money should be. That's ridiculous. I mean, when I was younger, you know, the, the, the Soviets used to set the price of grain, you know, because it was a communist system and that's what they did. And, you know, they, they, they'd always set it wrong. So they either have a surplus or they, they, they'd be starving and they'd have a deficit. I mean, you know, Capitalism is based on prices. Prices are information. Information is what drives human activity. And if human activity is not correct, if you don't have the right price information, you're going to make the wrong decisions. And we've been making so many wrong decisions for so long 
that nobody really knows what the price of anything is today, what the real true price of anything is today. And, um, you know, that's, that's why we are where we are. And that's why we're going to suffer the way we're going to suffer. And before this is over, I mean, you know, Jay Powell and, and Bernanke and, and all these Fed chair, even, even Greenspan, I mean, these guys are going to be in the history books, you know, right there with John Law, who ran the Mississippi bubble back in France in the 1700s. And so, you know, they, they, they broke the system. You know, they, they broke the system for their own benefit. And they're very rich. And the average person's working, you know, the average person's purchasing power wages since 1971 have not kept up with the increases in productivity. And, you know, we, we should all be working 30-hour weeks and living better than our parents did in the 60s and 70s. And in fact, you know, we all, you have to have two people working to support a household. Some, I mean, one of the reasons I think the employment numbers are as good as they are is people are hurting so bad they've had to take extra jobs. You know, that people, I know people working two and three jobs just to, just to cover their costs. I mean, I just got an electrical bill that was 65% higher than my electrical bill for the same month last year. And, you know, this is, it's, it's horrible. I mean, it's horrible. It's unfair. It's, it's, it's why for so many years I've been fighting for sound money. I, I backed around Paul. I ran some advertisements in national papers to support him um, before Bitcoin even, you know, existed. There were a lot of us who were talking in gold bugs who were talking about how broken the system was. And then Bitcoin came along, which is fabulous because it educated a whole, you know, safe book, which was really going to go down as one of the great historical economics books, educated an entire generation of 30 year olds, 20, 30 year olds, what sound money is all about in, in the Austrian School of Economics. And, uh, um, you know, so now I feel like at least I've got reinforcements. I'm not, I mean, I was I was truly a voice in the wilderness 20 years ago, you, you know, even even in 2008, there weren't that many people who were fighting for sound money. And I've been fighting for it pretty much for my whole career. So. Yeah, it, it's, you know, and I, once again, just to kind of in my personal experience and what you said about safe in his book, I skipped that entire, you know, just I went straight to Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the soundest money that's ever been created. Right. That exists. Right. And looking back, I'm perplexed. I'm like, how do people function on this mindset? But here's another thing, uh, Lawrence, and I was actually talking to a buddy of mine about this, right? Yeah. Is that in 2008, right? Well, you know, what the Austrian school would say, listen, booms and busts, normal, you know, when the bust happens, the less efficient companies will go under and from the from the from the ashes the phoenix will rise and will become better companies right right that's the theory <laughs> that's the theory right but that is very painful um i think what i've learned or what i've noticed in the last two years is that people like bailouts like they, they perhaps they're not thinking about the long-term consequences but the political willpower is there to soften the short-term blow and at the expense of of course the future generations right no that's that's greg's point i mean he's you know he's in this fight for the kids and i am too i mean i you know, look i don't i don't have to be doing this but i i, I feel passionate about doing this because i have an understanding of it and i just think the world is you know we're spinning towards a really bad outcome and you know the only way to avoid that bad outcome is to return to sound money i mean studying hyperinflations. I mean, I've, I've studied economics my entire life. I've been an investor my entire life and studying hyperinflation. The one thing I can say is that when they're over and you reset to a sound currency, things get better real quickly. 
I mean, it's this is not an unsolvable problem. It is a solvable problem. And I'm very optimistic about how the world will look on the other side of this monetary reset, which is in the process of taking place. So, you know, like Jeff, I, I you know, I'm extremely positive about where we can go, but we're not there yet. And I think you've heard me say in the past, this is a fourth turning, right? I mean, the, you know, this is a crisis. It's going to get to be a bigger crisis. And the crisis is, is centered on the fact that we've, we built our house on sand, you know, unsound money, fiat money. And, you know, fiat always returns to zero, you know, um, and it's in the process of doing so right now. Absolutely. So you mentioned monetary, the, the monetary reset, and I, I'm a big believer in the fourth turning theory as yeah. well. Right. We are definitely in it there. There's this famous quote wow. where um, there is years that there is decades that nothing happens. And then there's years that decades happen. I think really since 2016, 2017, we're experiencing decades and decades of occurrences that I think is waking a lot of people up. It's uprooting society completely. What is this monetary reset, Lawrence? What, what does that mean? What does that entail? Well, it's, it's, you know, I can't tell you, Nico, I wish I could give you kind of a simple answer, but, but I can't because there are so many variables involved and so many people involved. And, and there's a lot of history and momentum in fiat. Fiat's not going to go away overnight. Um, but, the, you know, what we're seeing are these increasingly large waves and swings of the fiat system um, not working and being out of control. I mean, you know, and, and I mean, we saw we saw a little bit of it in 98 with LTCM when they first started printing money, to, you know, the Russian crisis and to bail out Bear Stearns and all those companies. Um, we saw, you know, the housing bubble was was a part of it. And that was when I really got radicalized for sound money. I mean, when they did the bailout in 2008, that was probably the biggest crime, the biggest economic crime that's occurred in, in the United States almost since the founding of the country. I mean, the, the notion that they would protect one class of people to dis and disadvantage the rest of the country was just, it was an incredible crime. Um, you know, Ben Bernanke should be in jail. Um, but the, um, you know, and I thought, by the way, I thought right then, and this is why I'm hesitant to say how quickly it's going to happen this time. And right then I thought, okay, that's it. This is over. You know, this fiat system is going to blow apart. Well, guess what? They put it all back together and they, you know, they created, you know, they printed three or $4 trillion. Of course, it took three years in the COVID crisis. They did the same amount or slightly more in, you know, 18 months. Uh, and they, they, um, uh, you know, that, so that was kind of, it was one swing and then they got it all back under control and they took it up to the next level, which was a sovereign debt level. They held interest rates at zero with ZERP and that distorted everything even further. You know, they created the everything bubble. I mean, they, you know, they statistically, they say there wasn't a lot of inflation from 08 to, to say, call it 2017, 2018. I mean, they had it pinned at 2%. I mean, they were lying because shadow government numbers are much higher, but um, you know, there was a lot of inflation of financial assets, right? All that, all that, those reserves that they created, put on the balance sheets of banks, those all got cycled into the stock market. And, um, you know, so we, we created really this Potemkin village of fake prices in financial assets, um, based on too much money flowing around. And, you know, all the deflationists said, well, it's going to be deflation forever. Don't worry about it. I mean, the lacy hunts of the world were just dead ass wrong. And obviously COVID triggered it. I mean, it really got started before COVID, though, because when the repo blowout occurred in 
well, the 2018, you know, pivot and then the repo blowout following that was the beginning of it. And then, of course, you know, when COVID hit and, and you know, Powell had his, you know, whatever it takes moment where he, you know, imitated Draghi and, and came over the top with just an enormous uh, set of accommodations. And, of course, Congress went crazy and we handed out all these PPP loans. I mean, some of those loans went to businesses that did not need them. I know people who have perfectly healthy businesses got huge loans. All they had to do was say they weren't going to fire anybody. And, you know, they got to collect millions of dollars. I mean, you know, it was nuts. And, uh, um, you know, then they claimed there wouldn't be inflation, which was an enormous policy mistake. They kept loose for far too long, more policy mistake. Now they see they've got inflation. And as I said, I think I've used this analogy in the past. I mean, they're driving a clown car on an icy road. One, one guardrail is, you know, massive inflation and the other guardrail is massive deflation. And so by all the printing and the activities they took post COVID, they drove us towards the massive inflation guardrail. And sure enough, we got it right. I mean, rents were up 18%. Housing prices were up 20%. There were bidding wars for houses. I mean, the cost of everything was going up relentlessly. When they finally woke up to the fact that they screwed up and they even admitted they screwed up. Then they thought, oh shit. And they grabbed the steering wheel and drove hard in the other direction. And so we go, well, we can solve this. Our credibility is real. We can, we can uh, tighten up and, and we'll control inflation. And, you know, okay, fine. Uh, that's kind of what they've tried to do. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, by, by doing so, you know, they're going to they're gonna destroy the economy. I mean, uh, you know, you cannot, I mean, these, all these asset prices are going to, you know, plunge. And so, I mean, it's like the meme on, on Twitter where, you know, pick one, you know, uh, um, control inflation or, or, you know, create the Great Depression. I mean, the policies they're following right now will literally take all the financial markets to zero if they don't change policy because nobody has any cash right now and, and all these dollar debts are coming due and there are no new dollars flowing into the system. M2 is flat to down. I mean, it's, it's never slowed. You know, it went up enormously and, and now it's, it's flat to slightly declining. And so as a result of that, they, you know, they're, they're, in, a, they're in a box. And, you know, um, we can talk about kind of the, you know, the little micro moves that they've made, you know, one way or the other, but, um, you know, they're, they're screwed. And, and so I, I think the, the, the good news is that I think what's going to happen here is that there, yeah, thanks. You can see M2 is, is just slightly declining, but given how much it had grown and the rate, notice the, notice the steady rate from 2010 to, you know, um, to 2020. You know, that if you don't have that, you know, this a fiat credit based system does not work. It will. There, there's I mean, you're creating more and more debt. You've got to pay interest on that debt. You know, unless you unless you can get GDP growth to match the growth in the debt, which it hasn't for years. You know, you don't have the income to service the debt. And so the debt goes bad um, unless you unless you print the money to, to, to give people the ability to service the debt. And so, you know, they can they can try. I mean, they can continue to try. He can take rates up to nine or ten percent, but you know, half the world's going to go bankrupt. Um, yeah, that's exactly that's from my Twitter. I mean, that that's it. That's the story, right? And I think that might be a little bit old. I think the the debt line might have gotten a bit steeper, and you know, so forth. So it, it's a it's just a it's a mathematical fact. It, this isn't you know. This isn't my opinion. It's it's just math, as as Greg says. So, um, um, you know, it's 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 sad. It's really sad. But 
you know, the good news is it's going to come to a head and, and at least bringing it to a head will then, I think, lead to a better system. It has to lead to a better system. But, you know, how we get from here to there, I'm not smart enough to know. I don't think anybody really is. We don't know what they're going to do. We don't know how it's going to unfold. Um, my suspicion is that they will pivot and that they will try to print money and, and you know, we'll have a very highly inflationary environment. And I mean, it, there might be an Argentinian-like solution where we kind of get out of it by having high inflation for a bunch of years and getting GDP growth. And if they can do that, then theor theoretically, you know, the debt burden would become more manageable at, at higher prices in, you know, throughout the economy. But everyone would have suffered greatly through inflation. I mean, the, the bottom line is that there really, there's just no free lunch in economics, right? And, and they've kind of tried to create and, um, and um, you know, basically, um, they've tried to create a free lunch, and, and, and it's politics. I see wonder if Lawrence has ever seen the W. Yeah, absolutely. I, I go to that website all the time. I know the guy who, uh, um, I know the guy who developed it. He's great. I've, I've met him many times. It's a great website. Yeah, I mean, Jeff's right. You can't have infinite growth in a planet with limited resources. I mean, what we should be aiming for is not growth. I mean, this is the Keynesian era, right? Keynesians say you got to just continue to grow. Growth is good. Intrinsically, growth is good. Bullshit. Growth isn't good. You know, in, on a limited resource planet, um, misallocated, you know, resources and growth, you know, will we'll run out of stuff. What's good is efficiency. And what's good is productivity. What's good is deflation. And that's where the Keynesians are wrong. And that's we built our system on a Keynesian system. And as a result of it, we're, we're in this, you know, we're, we're in this box canyon and we can't we can't turn around and get out of it. Um, and I don't think the, the, the worst part of it is the way the political system is constructed. You know, most people don't even realize what's going on and, and the policymakers aren't smart enough to even begin to contemplate this issue. And to the degree that they do, they realize that changing things would ruin their privilege. And so they're not going to change things. So, you know, I mean, I, I think, I think Bitcoin is God given. And I think that there is a higher power and I think the higher power is basically going to school us all into why you know our grandkids are going to sit around and say you know you guys were idiots i mean how mm -hmm. did you ever let the government get control of the money supply and set the interest rates what the fuck were you thinking <laughs> you know, it's pretty obvious that the whole system was going to blow up eventually right so you you mentioned earlier about how we the potential solution would be an argentinian type of situation where there's a lot of there's high inflation but there's still gdp growth Jack Dorsey tweeted, I think it was in 2021, um, that hyperinflation is coming. And this, one of the reasons that I, I believed it was we saw the legacy media machine go into overdrive, basically saying that his words are dangerous. You know, um, yeah. usually that's not a good sign where if yeah. you speak a certain word about it, you could say anything you want about Bitcoin. It's been yeah. said. It's any criticism. But just the word triggered people. My question for you, Lawrence, is do you believe there could be potentially a hyperinflationary environment in the next 10 years or so? Sadly, I do. I mean, I, you know, I, I it's I'm not I'm not proud of that. I'm not looking forward to it. I know that it'll cause enormous pain. But if you analyze what's going on here, I think it's a I think it's a likely I think it's a likely outcome because I, I don't see a lot of intelligent um, you know, discourse at policymaker levels about what the problem is and how to solve it. 
And so, you know, I think they're going to continue to stumble around between these two extremes with a, you know, and each, each fugoid wave is going to get bigger and bigger. I mean, it's, um, you know, and, and, and ultimately, I mean, this is, this goes back to you know, Gresham's law, right? I mean, money is just what everyone con considers to be, you know, a medium that you can exchange for goods and services. And so it's what people believe in. And, you know, for a long time, fiat was somewhat stable. I mean, I, I emphasize somewhat. And so, you know, the whole world is conditioned to believe in fiat. But, you know, once they begin to realize that their fiat is a melting ice cube, you know, they're going to, Gresham's law is going to kick in, which says that good money shoves out bad. And, you know, gold's going to go plus 3,000. Bitcoin's going to go plus 100,000. And the bonds are going to continue to sell off. And the race is going to be on. And in today's interconnected world, where everybody knows, you know, what's going on very, very quickly as a result of the internet, you know, this, this may not take that long. I mean, it, it might actually all be over within five years. Um, I, you know, but I can't say, I mean, nobody can, anybody who tells you they can is, is full of shit. I mean, I, you know, I always tweet hyperinflation chart of the day because I believe there's a chance and we're not even close to hyperinflation now. It's going to take a lot to get us into hyperinflation, but you know, I'm not suggesting that, you know, when, when push comes to shove, if you read the history of like Weimar as an example, you know, they, they knew they should stop printing, but they couldn't. I mean, the alternative was to just collapse everything. And so, you know, with each, with each of these waves, they get further and further away from sound money and the Bitcoin and gold people, you know, grow in, in terms of understanding and knowledge and the values grow. And the most natural human instinct is to want to save the fruits of your labor. So if you work and you have savings, you say to yourself, where am I going to put it so that this has value in the future? Because I want to be able to feed myself when I'm older. And, um, you know, the people are going to realize that they've got to go for, for sound money alternatives. And so, you know, it, it um, it's, I'm pretty sure that's where it's going. I, I can't really see any other way out. Like I said, they could reset it. I mean, if there was, you know, there, there is, there is an intelligent government policy that could be pursued. I mean, they could do a, you know, one-time reset deval where they say, you know, five old dollars equals one new dollar. One new dollar is backed by a combination of gold, Bitcoin, and oil, or, you know, whatever. Um, and, you know, the new dollar would be something that would be trustworthy, but uh, I don't think I don't see any talk or discussion of of going in that direction, and I don't think with the political situation that we have, uh, I don't think that's likely to um, arise anytime soon. Now, that could change, but that's that's kind of how I see it. So you said something really interesting there about there being potentially a political solution if they're you know at the in these in you know the late seven really the 70s that's you had ronald reagan okay in the white house right and you had paul volcker okay you don't right. have those heavyweights you have jerome right. powell who's a lawyer and right. you have joe biden who doesn't know where he is okay so you don't have the <laughs> you don't have the political heavy or intellectual heavyweights or the cojones um yeah. you might say that they that you know that they were that they had in the the, the late 70s right to, to fix that but my perspective on this, right, is that would just fine. It would it would fix it. We would go on a sort of a sound money cycle, a sound money standard. But it the cycle would just repeat, right? Because if you look back in human history, right, you know the Romans did the same thing, right? In the Roman Republic, you started the the their currency was called the denarii, 
it started at like 0.83 silver and then by the end of the roman the roman empire right it was yeah. like point zero 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 zero. Yeah, it was so worthless. Yeah, it was worthless. So you could make the argument that we have been repeating this endless cycle over and over again, and I think with Bitcoin we have a chance to fundamentally break that cycle. And perhaps, yes, there's political solutions to it, but that won't be a long-term solution. And human beings, being human beings, will inevitably repeat the same mistakes oh, they've been repeating in the I past. I completely agree. I mean, it's, yeah. and that's why, as I say, I, I don't think the odds of a political solution are very high. Um, and I think you know, it will become obvious that I mean, and this is why this is why we will eventually get to a Bitcoin standard. You know, it will become obvious that it is a superior form of money. Uh, that'll just become obvious, but. You know, the thing I emphasize is, you know, that, you know, that could be in a year or two, unlikely. I mean, it, it could it could be in 10 years, it could be in 20 years, but we're going there quickly. Um, and, you know, there'll be lots of twists and turns along the way, and, and that's going to make it somewhat tough to navigate. But, you know, if I had to pick one thing I wanted to give my grandkids, it would be Bitcoin. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple things. Uh, no, just one thing. Um Clearly, governments are putting their hopes and their dreams in central bank digital currencies. Yeah, to, you, to use your word, I love that to maintain their privilege of creating money for free that everybody everybody else has to work for. Lawrence, what are your thoughts on central well, bank digital currencies? Oh, I hate them. <laughs> I mean, it's it's evil because they want to control you and everything else. But the thing to keep in mind about CBDCs, I mean. Probably the only way they can have that somewhat work is they can say, you know, you've got to pay your taxes in CBDC. So we would all have to have a little bit of CBDC to pay taxes. But I can't think of any Bitcoiner that would ever accept a CBDC. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's just digital fiat. And so, yeah, they, they're hoping that they can come in with some, um, you know, alternative solution and, you know, take away. I mean, this is kind of like all the crypto grifters who are hoping that, you know, crypto becomes the solution and it's not. I mean, it's you know, Bitcoin is Bitcoin is unique unto itself. It's not crypto. Bitcoin is an incredible invention. It's 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 an immutable form of digital scarcity that can't be corrupted. Um, having said that, there is one risk in Bitcoin, and that is that there are Bitcoin derivatives. And, you know, the, the, the point is that, um, you know, if people are stupid enough to accept paper Bitcoin and not the real thing where they hold their own keys, you know, they're, they're, there's a chance that, that, you know, they can try and manipulate Bitcoin the way they've manipulated gold. Um, you know, I, and in fact, I, I watched, you know, they, they um, BlackRock has kind of pivoted and talked more about Bitcoin and being involved in Bitcoin. And it wouldn't surprise me if they actually got the nod to be the first Bitcoin ETF. And so they could do with that similar to what they've done with gold, which is to say, they would say, um, you know, Bitcoin, or I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, they, they, they'd create a Bitcoin ETF and then they, people would buy that ETF and they wouldn't use it to buy the Bitcoin. So, they, you know, it'd be a form of paper Bitcoin and, and they'd be sucking away demand and, and therefore able to suppress the price. I mean, there are already about six billion dollars worth of Bitcoin derivatives in the world. I mean, if you look at the futures market and you go to Glassnode and you look at the chain there, um, you know, you can see that that people are trading Bitcoin derivatives. I'd never be stupid enough to own one, but um, that doesn't mean others won't. And, you know, when somebody 
when somebody buys a Bitcoin derivative, I mean, that is uh, that is money that is not used to buy the real thing. Right. So uh, there, there is a risk there. But the look, the, the, the point is, I think, you know, that these governments are going to fail because they can't they can't fund themselves. Um, if, if we really have a complete and total hyperinflationary collapse, um, the government's going to fail, too, and it's going to have to be restructured. And, and, you know, hopefully what will happen is that Bitcoiners will be, felt, you know, uh, successful enough and well enough off that some of them will decide to, to enter public life and and lead the way to, um, you know, doing what's right and returning us to sound money. Hey, and and uh, you mentioned there, and it is really interesting, right, is that the money printer, the ability to, it's created an administrative state so large that it's starting to consume itself. It's so big that it can no longer fund itself to the point right. where, you know, you, <laughs> in the Inflation Reduction Act, right, it's right. absurd. Um, they hire an army of 87,000 agents. By the way, that's larger than the United Kingdom's army today, which I find ironic because America was created because they didn't want to pay taxes anymore. Absolutely. Now you hired an army <laughs> just bigger than the current United Kingdom army yeah. to extract even more wealth from your populace in a bill that's called inflation. And this is what I'm talking about, right? It's that it's it's no longer a government by the people for the people. It's a government by the government for the government employees. Now, exactly. you said something really interesting about Bitcoin derivatives, and I'm going to tie this in with the government thing that I was talking about just now. Um, it's really curious because the SEC approved um, yeah, futures. Negative one, right? Isn't that amazing? Futures, right? But spot, yeah. no. Yeah. yeah. And well, and they also, didn't they approve a, a, a short Bitcoin ETF? I believe they did. And isn't that interesting, right? I mean, it's political. I, I can't come to another conclusion, right? Yeah. Well, look, they, they understand. I mean, Bitcoin is an existential threat to fiat currency. I mean, there's just there's no two ways about it. And they're not all smart enough to know that, but some of them are. And so, you know, they're, they're going to throw sand in our face for as long as they possibly can. We, we know that to be the case. Um, but, you know, in, in turn, we just keep marching along, you know, every 10 minutes, there's a new block and, you know, we own sound money. They don't. I mean, the, the problem with the, the Bitcoin derivatives, everyone says, well, you know, OK, you know, they, they start selling paper Bitcoin, they're going to get wrecked. Well, the thing you got to keep in mind is that, you know, the government has an unlimited balance sheet. I mean, they and they probably keep two sets of books. And so I've seen them do it with the gold market for 30 years now. You know, through the Cayman Islands and other sources, they sell paper gold that they don't have to suppress the gold price. And, you know, if the gold price goes up and somebody's getting wrecked, you know, they can just funnel them the paper. And there are parts of the government that basically um, are off the books, in my opinion. And they, they view having a sound dollar, I'm sure, as part of, you know, it's it's talked about in the Pentagon. I mean, because records and others, they wargamed it. And so, um, you know, they, they basically... Um, will do whatever they can to keep the dollar alive. And if that includes selling unlimited paper Bitcoin, so be it. And you might say, well, they're going to get wrecked. Well, why? They have a printer. They take a loss. They just print the money to fill the loss up. You see what I'm saying? I mean, in a, in a, game, in a game like the game we've got, they've got the biggest balance sheet and they've got the printing press. So that's somewhat of a problem. So we've got to overwhelm them. 
I mean, I, I think a much better, I think the way we'll overwhelm them is that Gresham's law will get them. We just need, you know, we need very consistent, you know, adoption and growth in the price so that more and more people over longer and longer periods of time come to realize that this is the way. And, you know, Bitcoin will be more fully distributed. It won't be as volatile and it'll be going up forever. And, and as a result, you know, people will realize, holy shit, I, I got to get out of this fiat, you know. But again, I mean, you know, who knows? I mean, to, to some extent, it's possible that some of this volatility is created by the government. I mean, I know Caitlin and others have, have done pretty in-depth analysis that suggests that the last cycle should have gone much higher than $68,000, but it was capped, you know, in, in the futures market. So. It, 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 so that's not my strong suit, right? And Caitlin's done a great job on that. But yeah. from the perspective of a miner, right, the Chinese Communist Party banned Bitcoin mining yeah. literally in the middle of the run-up of the last Bitcoin bull market. Right. Is that right. a coincidence, right? So, yeah, no. Lawrence, is it too much to say that governments today are actively price suppressing Bitcoin in order in the hopes of slowing down adoption enough to implement central bank digital currency regimes? I can't prove it, but it feels to me like there might be a little bit of it. I don't think they've got it suppressed nearly the way they suppress gold, but I do know that the odds, you know, when it took off in the in the fall of 2020, when it went from kind of in the 510K range and shot up to 50, I mean, you can you can just bet that every single finance ministry throughout the world said, holy shit, we got a serious problem here. So um, and and they and I'm sure they've been thinking about wargaming. How how do we address this problem? Um, oh, man. Yeah, I mean, you saw the the uh, the <laughs> bipartisan, by the way, um, there was a law in Congress that was passed very quickly when El Salvador, which GDP wise is very extremely small country, um, saying it, it, Bitcoin is potentially it could potentially become a threat. Um, so absolutely. I, absolutely. I Some was senator was out hammering Bukele for I don't know what reason. But it's like, why would he even give a shit about El Salvador? I mean, you know, why would he even care? Yeah, I mean, you know, well, I know why he cares. I mean, <laughs> you know, they, they know, look, they, you know, here's the thing the, the the best piece of news is there are so many more of us and the Internet. I mean, look, it, it, we have a centralized system and, you know, it really worked well for them. I mean, the New York Times told you what the truth was. The government told you what the truth was, et cetera, et cetera. I mean. The internet coming along has been wonderful, right? Because it allowed us all to communicate with one another very inexpensively and to create you know, alternative views or, or I believe much more accurate views of what the truth is. And so, you know, and, and so you're seeing the internet is basically messing with their narrative. And, you know, consider the legacy news networks. I mean, there's some great charts that show how Joe Rogan is, is basically burying CNN. And that's because people know when they're being lied to. I mean, if you piss on their leg and say it's raining, they figure it out. And so all we got to do is educate as many normies as we possibly can. And, and guess what? You know, having your electrical bill go up 100%, having a hard time buying food, having your family suffer, being a millennial that's getting screwed. I mean, you tend to get educated. It's like, you know, what the fuck? You're messing up my life in a big way. You know, God damn it. I mean, you've seen these protests in Europe, you know, the farmers and others. You saw the truckers protest. I mean, this is only going to grow. 
you know, this movement, it's only going to grow. Um, you know, Pierre Polivre, the, the guy who is now the Conservative Party leader in Canada, I mean, he might get elected, right? And that would be fabulous. And so he's a Bitcoiner. He's a friend of Booth and Foss. So, you know, it, it's common. It's common. I mean, we, 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 we don't have our, our Ron Paul yet. We need a we need a Bitcoin Ron Paul, but that's coming. You know, it'll it'll happen. Um, and, um, you know, it's people are smart and, and you know, it, it, it can take some time, no doubt. But, you know, we've got a much better hand. I, I mean, I like the side that we're on in this whole fight. I mean, we're going to win. I mean, Marty Bent has it right. We are going to win. There is no doubt we are going to win. Now, the time scale, that's a different matter. And I prefer it happen sooner rather than later because I'm not as young as you. <laughs> and I want to see it. <laughs> so, yeah, the, 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 and, you know, I've talked to Opti about this um, many times. The, for particularly my generation, the millennial generation, we don't have an alternative. So for us, it's like, it's this or slavery, right? Right. And they, they're even telling, the cantillionaires are even telling you, you'll owe nothing and be happy. We're, right. we're at that part of the movie yeah. already. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, but the problem is, you know, the problem is that you are an incredibly, you know, astute, educated, you know, on the ball person because you're in our world. I mean, you know, and I'm sure you hang around with people that are similar to you. But, you know, what percentage of millennials are where um, where you are in terms of the understanding of this? I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I hope it's large. I know it's growing. I mean, I, you know, I think basically everybody should, you know, be be handing out copies of Safe's book to their friends. I mean, I do it all the time. I mean, I think the only way we win this fight is we recruit as many people as we possibly can all over the world to understand the nature of the fight. And, you know, we all feel, I mean, it's, it's hard. I mean, what is, you, you often think to yourself, what can one person do, right? I mean, there are billions of people in the world and these people at the top have all the levers and they can lie and they can, you know, they can do all the stuff they do. And, um, you know, true, but, you know, there's that great meme where they're, they're standing out on the end of a board and we're all standing on the other end of it, right? Yep. And if we decide to walk away, you know, <laughs> They're fucked. And, and so, and that's happening. I mean, you know, and they're going to get older and die off and you guys are going to get in, into more positions of power and so on and so forth. Yeah. So. The, it's, it's unfortunate that it has to be pushed to an extreme where people feel pain. Um, specifically for my generation, Netflix and TikTok are hell of a drugs and they are very good at distracting people from what's going on. I, I've lost most of my normie friends because I can't commute it, it, it first of all they don't want to hang out with me and I don't want to hang out with them why don't they want to hang out with me because if they hang out with me for beers and it's like bro there's a revolution going on they're trying yeah, to they're trying to enslave us <laughs> I gotta answer this one question totally cast iron I mean what the fuck I was about to end about the show with that question I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ I mean you know how hard it is to clean stainless yeah um, I run a I, I run a full node yeah I know we've one <laughs> I mean, fucking stainless steel sucks. Cast iron is so much better. I don't get that. Guys, yeah. this is the towards the end of the podcast. So drop your questions in the chat and you, you have a yeah. chance to ask Lawrence yourself. So now, you know, cast iron. <laughs> he runs a node. What temperature do you like your steak, Lawrence? Uh, I'm kind of a medium rare sort of guy. Yeah. Same. Yeah. No, I think um, one of the guys on the chat made a great point. It, it was a small minority that uh, 
that fought the British. I mean, it's, you know, um, it, it, you know, it's, if we're small and we're loud and we've got the truth on our side, uh, we're, you know, we're going to win. I don't have any doubt. We're definitely going to win. I have no doubt in my mind, but what keeps me up at night is definitely the transition. And I think that's the part that is. Well, that's right. I mean, it's, it's pretty sad. Um, but you know, it's like, you know, the Billy Joel song, we didn't start this fire. You know what I mean? I mean, we didn't start this fire, but we're definitely going to put it out. That's for sure. Well, that's right. I mean, I think your generation is going to be the hero generation. I mean, I look at, you know, Jack Mahler saying, you know, he'd die on this hill. I mean, I had tears in my eyes. I mean, you know, Marty Bent, you guys, all you guys, I mean, it's, um, you know, you guys are going to do it. I mean, and, and you got some older guys here along to help you along the way. who have seen it all before. I mean, you know, we try to, uh, you know, try to guide you a little bit just based on our experience. Cause you know, <laughs> I've been watching these people for 40 years. I mean, I, you, earlier you alluded to it, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm a, I'm an analyst, right? I like to figure shit out. That's kind of, you know, that's why I was put here. That's my highest and best use. And, um, you know, uh, uh, the, the the biggest thing I dug into for many, many years was the JFK assassination, right? And I've read um, just about everything there is to read, including a lot of private stuff that's not published. And I am so certain that without a doubt, um, the CIA and our government murdered Kennedy. I mean, it's just, it's beyond... There's just no question in my mind. And so, you know, rather sadly, we were the greatest country in the world, you know, post-World War II. We saved the world, although, you know, the Russians played a big role in that because they lost 9 million people fighting the Germans before we got involved. But, um, you know, uh, you know the, the, um, the, um, the people who took control of the CIA post-World War II and some of the things they did were just unbelievably evil and um you know un-american and um you know it's um it's really sad uh and we gotta we gotta take we gotta take the controls away from them you know we we gotta we gotta go back to the founding principles you know the founding documents of this country and uh and and adhere to those principles a hundred percent some people call it the deep state i call it the administrative state because it's right up in your grill and it is funded by the money printer um exactly right so one last question, and then we're gonna we are going to uh, we're gonna close up the stream. Um, Lawrence, we have a question from Jeff Ross. It was okay. fun, fun having breakfast with you at Broadmoor, uh, Larry. Question, oh yeah, he's great. <laughs> from your time at the Gold Conference, what are a few of your favorite gold miners at current? Oh prices? yeah, sure. I'm I'm happy to share a few names. Um, depends on what you're trying to achieve. Gold mining business is a shitty business. Okay, I mean you're breaking rocks. You got to replace them, and as we know, you know ultimately gold will be replaced by Bitcoin. But you know that's going to take some time because all the all the boomers have all the money, and all the boomers believe in gold, not Bitcoin. So um, to answer Jeff's question, probably the the my favorite large miner is Equinox. Um, my um, my favorite uh, smaller miners are some of the silver miners like Guanajuato Silver, which I have a big piece of and I love. Um, I also like uh, Silver Tiger, which is a drill story. I mean, these are risky stocks, but they're also stocks that could go up 10x. I just did a, a call for um, uh, um, Real Vision where they asked me my top three ideas. My top three ideas were Equinox, a Cisco Mining, um, and Guanajuato Silver. But um, I hesitate in, in offering those because, you know, 
even one of those could not work. Anyone who's going to invest in gold stocks needs to have 10 of them. And the reason for that is that they're just, there's too much Murphy's law going on in gold. I mean, something could go wrong in any one of these companies. They all, in my opinion, have the ability to be five to 10 baggers, but, but one of them won't be, one of them will go to zero. So if you just buy one gold stock, you're really doing yourself a disservice. Um, although I, I would say probably, you know, at, at, the, at the absolute safest level, I mean, if I were putting my mo mother's money into gold stocks, I'd probably buy Agnico. It's the safest big major, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a three, it prints to my way of seeing it prints as a two or a three bagger. Um, whereas most of what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to get five and 10 baggers and they have slightly more risk. Jeff, you just got some pure alpha from the man, the myth, the legend, Lawrence Lavard himself. <laughs> Hardly. All right, guys, that was the show. Um, Lawrence, where could people find you? What are you working on nowadays? Uh, so, uh, well, I, I, I live outside of Mass, uh, outside of Boston, Massachusetts. If you <laughs> Not like visit, that. <laughs> you, can, you can DM <laughs> me. And I, I, I've gone out for, uh, I've gone out for beers with, I don't drink, I don't drink alcohol, but I've gone out for coffee with lots of Bitcoiners up here. Um, so I I, I'm on, I'm on Twitter a lot as I'm, I'm the ultimate shit poster. I hate the fed and it's the Twitter is my, my way of expressing, um, you know, my hatred for the fed and, and I love it. Um, you know, I, I also have a fund that I manage um, and, a, and a website. I, I publish quarterly letters, a lot of papers with talks about, um, uh, you know, various things, and, and they're all free. And that website is EMA, Edward Mark Alpha, the number two dot com. So you can and there's a free mailing list there. I won't spam you. Um, so you can um, you, you can look at things there. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to the Edinburgh conference. I'll be a speaker there. I'm going to the New Orleans Gold Show. I'll be a speaker there. I'm going to um, Pacific Bitcoin. I'll be a speaker there. So, um, you know, and I'm fortunate enough to make some great friends in the space who I have enormous respect for, uh, starting with Jeff Booth, Greg Foss, um, James LaVish, um, you know, Natalie Brunel, all, all those folks. I mean, um, Corey Clipston, who I think has done fabulous work. Um, you know, Corey in calling out all the shit coiners. Um, I have enormous respect for SAFE, just enormous. Uh, Caitlin Long, I have enormous respect for her as well. There's so many great people in this space and uh, a lot of respect for you guys at, at Bitcoin Magazine and, and so forth. So um, I was at a Nashville meetup, met a lot of great people there. I really enjoyed that. So it's it's a great community. I mean, the one thing I've said this many times, I mean, it's really fun because if you if you meet somebody who's a Bitcoin, you almost instantly know you're going to like them. I mean, I, you know, they're, they're, I, I'm hard pressed to think of a Bitcoiner that I don't like. I mean, if they're really a Bitcoiner, I mean, if they're shitcoiner, I don't like them, but. Um, some people are both, but if you're, if you're a pure Bitcoiner, you know, I'm sure we get along great. Well, I really, really appreciate you, uh, you coming on the show, Lawrence. I had a great time. Um, I just want, just want to mention, um, Simply Bitcoin will be at the Pacific Bitcoin conference. Hopefully we can get a, a, a live interview with Lawrence there. Um, and you can take advantage of the promo code simply to get a big discount on your tickets to Pacific yeah. Bitcoin. I also want to thank our friends at, uh, Bitcoin magazine <laughs> for allowing me to uh, record in their studio till pretty, pretty late. Um, so shout out to everybody at Bitcoin mag. We love you all. Check out Bitcoin Amsterdam. It's 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 a conference in Europe. It's in two weeks. You definitely want to go check it out. Guys, that was uh, that was uh, another episode of Simply Bitcoin IRL.
Lawrence, I'm going to close it out. I'm going to put you right back. Thanks, Nico. It's always great to be with you. I I love being with guys who get it. You obviously get it. Thanks, Lawrence. All right, guys. Take 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 it easy. Which one's the best crypto asset? Well, Bitcoin's the best crypto asset. Okay. What's the second best? There is no second best.